Pharisee, I preach the gospel. I follow the apostles, you follow Pentecostals. You're not reformed, so that's a risk. I believe the five points like an asterisk. I repent, but you're in sin still. I spit rhymes and Fernando does a windmill. Yo soy mejor, no me ganas en batalla. Here we go, and welcome to another episode of Solar Cast. This is your boy, Pastor Christian Anderson. I'm here with my man, Jimmy De Los Santos. What up, what up, Jimmy? What's new? <laughs> How you doing, Pastor Chris? I'm doing well, man. Just uh, good to be back, man. Good to be back recording another episode after uh, <laughs> after we didn't get to talk much last week. <laughs> no, I'm just throwing <laughs> No, Andrew Rappaport was good, man. He was, yeah, yeah. I, I, I had some good feedback from, uh, from some people about, uh, you know, it got good there toward the end when we asked the question about the tweet and there was some people coming back saying, oh man, it got good back uh, when you got down to that part, uh, helped us understand some things. But uh, I think overall it was good, good to have a guest and I think we're getting our feet wet and having guests on so we can ask more guests in the future to, to come on. And I think, you know, the more experience we have having those on through Zoom, it would be good. Yeah, yeah. And if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and check it out. It's our conversation with Andrew Rappaport from uh, Striving for Eternities Ministries. And, you know, he had a lot of good insight, man, good stuff to share on evangelism, on uh, podcasting. And then also, uh, man, he ended it off with a, with a bang, man, talking about women's issues in the church and so forth. So, yeah, yeah it was good. It was a good combo. If, if he listens to this episode, he's going to hear you say that he talked too much. <laughs> But I wonder if he knows that about himself, though. I mean, you know, come on, man. We all, that's why we do podcasts. We're, no, we're, it's not that he talked too much. I think it's just, we, that's our first time having like a guest. Like, that's the way that it should have gone. I mean, it was his episode. We just asked questions. No, I was kidding about that. But I, I think, you know, the, the thing that it takes to do a podcast is to be a guy that talks a lot. That's what me and you do, man. Me and you, we get going, we talk a lot. <laughs> and there's, uh, our families can attest to that, right? <laughs> right, right? So this is the reason, one of the, one of the good things about having this kind of outlet on a podcast, to be able to, to, be able to say things and you know, go that way. What's yeah. new, man? Man, um, I'm packed up and ready, ready to go, man. Fixing to head out to Bogota, Colombia tomorrow uh, yeah. for work. You know, I'll be out there for two weeks. So like next week, when we record next week's podcast, it'll be long distance, right? Yeah, Over 2,000 miles, 2,400 miles, something like that. Right. So <laughs> we've done it before. Yeah, we've done it before. Yeah, we recorded one from Columbia before, but um, yeah, I'm going tomorrow. And two weeks, everybody tells me, man, that's a long time, but it'll be good. And, uh, you know, I'll be back uh, on the 21st. So you guys yeah. went out, uh, you guys went out evangelizing yesterday. Oh yeah, we did, man. Yeah. Me, uh, some, some members of the church, we all, you know, we went out, man, we had some good conversations out there last night and I'll tell you what, very interesting things. Uh, I met, and it's, it's kind of strange. I, I met several Christians who I, every time I evangelize, and this is one of those things that I get to thinking about, I wanted to write a little bit about it, but I get to talking to a Christian that I find out is truly a Christian and appreciates what I'm doing out there. Uh, I, you know, sometimes I'll tell them, hey, let me practice my evangelism just so I can go through it with them and show them how I do it. And then I'll encourage them. When was the last time you shared your faith with somebody? When was the last time that you actually, you know, shared the gospel with someone? Right. And a lot of times they'll look and they'll, they'll feel a little convicted about that. But, but the, the whole thing is, hey, this is what we were meant to do. We were meant to go out there and uh, spread the good news. And so I want to encourage anybody that I meet out there. And so I, I, thought, I thought it was great, you know. So, you know, we handed out a lot of tracts. We, we handed out a lot of, uh, I, I took some of our cards for Ecclesia and I handed those out too. So there was a lot of good conversations. I, you know, when we have more time, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you more of those. But yeah, it was a good time last night. And um, it's good. We're going to keep on doing that. I and mean, regular cadence, maybe first, uh, first Friday of every month, it would be good for us to, 
to do that, to continue to do that. Yeah, man, plenty of opportunities. But anyway, man, to the topic of the day. So I guess this, this came about because your sister has kind of been asking, right, about uh, eschatology. She's kind of been pushing us to do something like this. Yeah, she, she asked about end times. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, toward the end, we'll talk more about why I think she asked. But she has a specific reason for asking. I think we had we shared the same childhood memories uh, about end times. And so uh, one of those one of those thoughts is going to be what we were taught when we were younger and how it affected us. Right. But right. she she wants to know and she wants to be a little more clear about what does the Bible really teach about end times? And I'm going to be just frank with the listeners. This is not a subject that I'm 100 percent on because. I have never really pursued it like that. I, I really have never seen it as being a primary issue for me. Uh, once I became a Christian, I just always trusted that, you know, the Lord will return. I mean, man, brother, I think just, man, there's a lot of people out there that are not 100% uh, sure about this topic. It's funny. I, um, I remember hearing R.C. Sproul say one time, they asked him a question, do you ever change your view on eschatology? And I guess we should get to the uh, the definitions. Um, so eschatology is uh, basically the study of the end times. Ology, of course, the study of uh, the eschaton, the end times, the last things, so to speak. Last things, yeah. The Bible uh, talks about. So they had asked uh, R.C. Spro, do, do you ever change your views on eschatology? And he says, I change them just about every week. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you say that you don't have a hundred percent grasp on it. I think, man, that's, that's with a lot of people, you know, because uh, this is a, it's a difficult subject. It's a difficult yeah. subject to study. I believe the scripture is clear. It's just that we're not clear as, as fallen humans. You know, it's funny because in my studying for it in this past week, I found that it's a very hot topic and, and you find debates online, you'll find videos and people take this really seriously when, uh, you know, and, and it's funny because uh, as I was looking through, I found a clip of uh, James White talking about eschatology and he, 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 he considered himself for a time to be, or he would tell people that he was a pan-millennialist. Everything's going to pan out is what he would say. And I thought, I thought that was kind of funny. I heard Gabe Hughes say the same thing. Right. And, and, and so I, I, I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, and for a little bit, I wanted to kind of lean that way because I mean, that's, that's really was my, my default beforehand. But I tell you what, in my studying this past week, and I've, I've done a lot of reading and trying to, trying to really ground myself in the subject, I do have my leanings now. And so we'll, we'll discuss more of that after we get the, you know, the definitions out there and talk about, you know, what all the, all the different views are. But I think I've, I've stumbled across some different things that really make me think a little yeah. bit differently than, than what I had thought before. Right. So let's start here. What we're going to do is we're just going to, again, this is not going to be an in-depth talk about eschatology and the study of the end times. What we wanted to do on this, on this episode is just kind of present the different views and maybe give where we lean again. uh, I think me and you still kind of, uh, you know, uh, studying this and kind of getting our our heads wrapped around this, but uh, we want to just present the different views out there. That way uh, there's, if there's people out there, maybe they can understand exactly what the views are when it comes to the study of the end times or eschatology. Because I think a lot of people that grew up in the church pretty much think that their view is the only one out there and there's not another right. view, you know, and I think that was the way I was for a long time. I, I was under the assumption that everybody thought the same way that we all, all Christians believed it was going to happen the same way. So let, let's start there, Jimmy, what, what, what kind of, uh, views that you had growing up about the end times? How did you think it was all going to transpire? Well, you know, what I was maybe taught and, you know, I would say taught, I can't remember specifically a church time or a church session or a Sunday school thing that taught me. 
I think what I learned from was some films that were shown to me and, and, you know, like the left behind series and, you know, things like that. But in a nutshell, here's, here's what I thought would shape out, right. That the rapture would happen first thing, right. Like that's the first thing that would happen. And there's this vanishing of people that would go and, and meet the Lord in the air, right. If you were Christian, you're going to meet the Lord in the air. All the others were going to be left behind. And after that, there's a seven-year period of tribulation. Uh, and at that point, the Lord uh, comes back and binds the, the Satan, and there's a thousand years of peace, and then the day of judgment. That's the way that it was kind of laid out for me. And that's, that's kind of the, the view I had uh, before I became a Christian, and you know, I guess even after. But I, I, I tell you what, when I became a Christian, I didn't focus so much on it. But yeah, when I was a kid growing up, that's, that's how it was laid out for me. And that's, I guess, what I believed from that time. Yeah. And I'm, I was the same way. And I think most believers, maybe uh, most of the Christians out there that are listening to us that don't come from a, a reformed background, that come from, you know, your traditional non-denomination or traditional Baptist church or uh, Pentecostal charismatic church, whatever, uh, somebody of God, I think most of them probably had that same view that you just kind of described. That's the same view I, I had growing up. I, I remember a uh, man uh, seeing a painting one time of, and you've probably seen this painting too. It was a painting of uh, a bunch of cars uh, crashed and people, <laughs> people flying in the air, you know what I mean? And, and Christ yeah, I remember that with, painting. with angels and stuff like that. And, <laughs> yeah. And, I forgot all about that, man. Yeah, yeah, I, remember I remember, that. man, that's going to be a crazy time as a kid. You know, you see something like that and you just kind of, kind of freaks you out, man. You know, like, yeah. Whoa, what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that was always my view, man, that just waiting of, of, for the rapture to come and, and I remember even being being a kid, man, and not finding my parents in, in a department store, man, and thinking the rapture came. You know what I mean? It was always like right there in my mind, like, man, am I going to be left behind, right? So yeah. this is the kind of view that we were taught growing up. We'll touch a little bit more on that as we go through the view. So I guess we could start there. Let's go ahead yeah. and go through the view. So when we talk about eschatology and the different views of end times, they're pretty much all centered around one event, which is the millennium. If you've been in church or you've kind of studied it or heard a sermon on the end times, more than likely you have heard about the millennium. But we get the millennium, uh, which is the thousand year reign. Uh, we see that happening in uh, Revelations chapter 20. And, and let me just, just briefly read here in Revelation chapter 20, uh, verse uh, 1. Then I saw an angel come down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil. And Satan and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into a pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So what we have there is we have a time where the devil, the enemy is seized and bound for a thousand years. So most views, when we, when we talk about different views of the of the end times, different views of eschatology, most views center around that event, the millennium. And it has to do with when Christ returns. Is he going to return before the millennium? Is he going to return after the millennium? Or is there even a, a literal millennium at all, right? So let me just go ahead and, and run through these very, very briefly. What we have is we have a view called historic premillennialism. Uh, we have a view called dispensational premillennialism. There's a view called postmillennialism, and there's a view called amillennialism. Uh, there's also uh, some some other some other offshoots. There's also uh, what people call preterists and partial preterists or preterism, uh, so to speak. 
So those are kind of the views that, that are out there, right? Right. And so, yeah, in studying that, I, I, I discovered which one I was taught when I was younger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even know it, what it was called, but uh, I think it falls under the camp of um, dispensational premillennialism. Yeah. Right. And when I, when I, I, that's what I was taught when I was a kid. And then uh, I found out that it's, it's the major view across a lot of denominations and right. there is actually, and I, just, I found this stunning to me. There are groups of churches out there. Well, let's just go ahead and say the assemblies of God will not allow you to become a pastor unless you affirm this view. <laughs> wow, I didn't even know that. Wow. I, I, I thought I, that was like stunning to me. If you don't affirm that view, you can't be a pastor in the assemblies of God. And I, I had no idea that that was the case. That, that threw me for a loop. And, and I, I listened to a Vody Bauckham sermon, actually, uh, prepping for this. He actually had a job interview that, you know, they, they were kind of, you know, uh, letting him buy on some things. You could, uh, on this thing here, you don't have to, we don't have to come to an agreement on that thing there. We don't have to come to an agreement. Oh, but on this you have to be a dispensational premillennialist or you can't work here. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's, that's just crazy that, because um, I, I view this as a secondary issue. I view this as something that's not a primary Christian issue. I believe you can be a Christian and be a dispensationalist. You know, I just don't know if I agree with that view anymore. Right. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. I'm just saying I, I'm surprised at how staunch some people will be on this view and, and, how, and how much of a, a thing it makes. The debates that go on about it, is, it's crazy. Yeah, so let me go ahead and run down the difference. That way people can kind of get a better understanding. And then this is going to be a quick overview of some of the, the different views. Uh, and I just kind of ran them down and named them. But let me go ahead and go into them a little bit deeper. So when we talk about historic pre-millennialism, uh, the pre means when Christ is going to return. So pre before, before the millennium. So historic pre-millennialism believes that Christ will be coming back before the millennium. And the way uh, historic premillennialists say it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be mixing, <laughs> jumbling up these words, man. <laughs> but uh, the way they see it is that Christ is gonna come before the the millennial reign. So there, there will be a time just like we read in Revelation chapter 20 when Satan will be bound and Christ will establish his reign here on earth, and that is gonna last for a thousand years. Uh, however, they don't see it played out the way me and you learned it when we were younger. And we'll talk about that view here in a second, where there is a, a rapture and the church is taken up to be with Christ. And then there's a seven year tribulation. And then Christ comes back with the church and then binds Satan for a thousand years and establishes his reign here on earth. They see it as a the return that happens simultaneously when Christ returns, then he's going to bind up uh, the enemy. He's going to uh, put him in the pit for a thousand years and he's going to establish his reign here on earth. So that's happened simultaneously with his return. Uh, there is no seven year rapture, antichrist, uh, you know, reigning uh, for half of those seven years and so forth. So that is the view of historic premillennialists. Uh, people in, in church history have held to this. A lot of reformers have held to it as well. Arrhenius, uh, Justin Martyr, James Montgomery Boyce held to it as well. So a lot of uh, those in the reformed tradition did hold to a certain view of historic premillennialism. And here's the thing too. I mean, I'm going to say these views and lay out these views, but even within these views, there's some, uh, there's some disagreement here and there. Some people see it this way and some people see it that way. 
You also have uh, dispensational uh, premillennialism, and that's what me and you are more familiar with. Right. This is uh, this is when uh, Christ comes in the rapture. Uh, you know, people are gone. Some are left behind. This is where all the move left behind movies get their theology from or their view from the dispensational yeah. premillennialists, uh, Hal Lindsey and uh, some of the others uh, that made this popular here. Uh, dispensational premillennialism is uh, the view, again, that Christ is going to come and there's going to be a, a seven-year tribulation here on earth. And then after that, it's going to culminate with the Battle of Armageddon. And then Christ will return. He'll destroy his enemies and nations will be gathered for judgment. Also, another thing about dispensational premillennialism is that it has ties with Israel. Uh, those who supported Israel will enter into uh, Christ's millennial kingdom. Christ is going to sit on the throne of David, and he's going to uh, rule the world from Jerusalem. There's going to be a literal uh, land restoration of the land, literal restoration of the temple. And you remember this. I mean, you remember yeah. this growing up, and we used to talk about this all the time. And right. again, like you said, this is the prominent view of most people in evangelicalism, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I That's what I that's what I come to find out. And uh, I didn't know there was another view, like you said, up. up at the beginning, I knew there was other views as being a Christian. I've heard of these things before, but when I was younger, I didn't know there were other views. And, and I will say that, uh, you know, one of the things that, that gets me about uh, that meeting him in the air, you know, I, there was a thing about, you know, his first coming, his second coming that where the rapture happens before the tribulation, where he doesn't actually all the way come all the way down to, this is, I guess the way it was explained to me is right. that he would come midair and the, right. the, the, the dead in Christ shall rise up to him and all Christians will go to be with him where he is. And then everybody's left behind. And then there's seven years of tribulation, uh, which kind of, you know, made me think, well, then there's a third coming right after the seven years are over. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. And I, right. you know, I just, it, that kind of, always kind of threw me for a loop a little bit, I, I guess, because uh, I've only heard of the first and the second coming. And I, I, I don't know. That was, the, again, one of the reasons I stayed away from eschatology or looking deeper into it. It's, it can be a little confusing. Revelation is a book that has a lot of symbolism and, and it uses a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, uh, imagery, right? That is, that is really hard to, to understand on, on, on some levels, right? Uh, we can read some things are plain, some things are, are hidden. Um, but um, I think, you know, that's, that's, that's us. That's our human. But, I mean, Scripture is Scripture, and it is what it is. But I, I look at it dispensational premillennialism now after studying and think, I don't know that I agree with it. I don't know that I, I, don't know that I look at it and say, yeah, I think that's how it's going to happen, um, especially after studying the other views. But I'll let you keep on going. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, you know, just some people that, that kind of uh, established this view or hold to this view, John Nelson Darby in the 1800s, one of the first to kind of uh, lay out this view, it, dispensational premillennialism, from what I understand, is not a view that is, has had a long tradition in church history. Uh, although it's, again, like we say, it's the dominant view today, it hasn't had uh, that long of a tradition. Again, uh, most people trace this view back to John Nelson Darby in the uh, 1800s. It was popularized by uh, C.L. Schofield with the uh, Schofield Reference Bible. Yeah. And it was systematized by uh, people like Lewis uh, Sperry Chafer. Dallas Theological Seminary was a big player in all this. Uh, they, yeah. even to this day, they're a big player in dispensationalism. They're the ones that kind of systematize that whole view. People like Charles Ryrie, Dwight Pentecost, uh, Hal Lindsey, Tim LaHaye. 
uh, those people, and I'm sure as I'm throwing out those names, those are familiar names for some of, some people, especially from our background. Even when uh, we even when we like, and that's John MacArthur, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I was going to get to that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, uh, John MacArthur I, kind of tries to distance himself a little bit from the, the Dallas guys and Charles Ryrie. I mean, actually, the the whole Lordship Salvation controversy, which we should probably talk about in an episode, was with Charles Ryrie, right? So even though uh, John MacArthur is known as a dispensationalist, I don't I don't think he'd like to be included with with those guys, you know, with that list. <laughs> you know, as, and, I've, and as I was studying this, I, I found that uh, Sam. Sam Storms went to DTS, to Dallas Theological Seminary. And I, I came across the same thing in my studies that Dallas Theological Seminary was a, a big proponent of this view. And uh, they espoused it. And if you didn't, if you didn't go with it, uh, you couldn't have a different view at Dallas Theological Seminary. And Sam Storms went to DTS, but afterwards he, he came away from that, from that view. And, um, you know, I listened to some of his stuff uh, over, this, uh, over this past week, and I thought, uh, very interesting, very interesting stuff. Yeah, he's a big proponent for amillennialism, which we'll get to here in a second. But yeah, yeah going back to MacArthur, one, another thing he likes to call himself a, a leaky dispensationalist. <laughs> I don't know what I don't even know what that means, but I think he's, he tries to distance himself again from from the uh, the uh, historic uh, dispensationalist or the dispensational uh, premillennialist. But let me go on. Also, yeah. uh, another view is the the postmillennialism, like like we talked about. Now, postmillennialism, post meaning after. Now, this view is kind of strange to me. You know, this view it's it's very intriguing, uh, and it also it's also steeped in uh, reform theology. There are some big names that I'll mention here that that held this view, but postmillennialism sees that the thousand years happens before the second coming. So uh, many postmillennialists see a, a great revival, if you will. So they they see the thousand year reign happening before Christ comes back. So there's going to be uh, a great prosperity. There's going to be a great incoming, a great revival, people uh, turning to Christ right before uh, Christ returns. We're going to see a golden age here on earth before Christ returns. So instead of things getting worse, things are actually going to get better. And I don't know about you, Jimmy, but that's kind of hard for me to see as I look at the headlines. (laughs) I know, you know, it's funny because I guess I have a pessimistic view of society and the way things go. And I've always said the same thing where, you know what? I believe that we should, uh, you know, preach the gospel and the gospel is going to change hearts and that'll change whole societies. But am I looking at, am I looking at society to change and become better for, and you know what, I, I think this can, can go into it. Can, it can leak into those, those movements that like the NAR movement who believe that they're going to be the ones that usher in the kingdom right. by getting these things, like setting these revivals in place and getting them going. And, and I just don't see that, uh, I, I can't agree with that. Uh, it, I, I got to say, uh, things do look like they're getting worse, not better, right? right. And, so, and so when I look at postmillennialism, that's the, that's the issue I have with it, is that, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem to me to be the right view. Right. And, and people might be uh, wondering out there, well, it doesn't make sense because if it's a thousand years, I mean, a thousand years has already passed since Christ <laughs> ascended to heaven, right? So we're going on 2,000 years. Well, postmillennialists, uh, like amillennialists, as we'll talk here in a second, don't see the thousand years as a literal thousand years. They don't see the thousand years as a, a literal thousand years. They see that as more of a, a time. You know, in, in scripture, you see a lot of numbers used for completion, and, that, and a thousand or a hundred or ten is one of them, right? So they see that as the thousand years as a complete age so to speak so right. it's not it's not right. a literal thousand years so in case anybody's wondering out there about that uh people that held this view jonathan edwards charles hodge bb warfield 
uh, were were known proponents of of this view. Was uh, R.C. Sproul uh, one of those two? Yeah, you know, R.C. I believe he he kind of like I said, he jumped back and forth. You know, he jumped back and forth from postmillennialism yeah, yeah. to uh, amillennialism and, and so forth. But uh, yeah, I don't think it was. Kinda, it's kind of hard to nail down R.C.'s view on this. Uh, now, in between here, before we talk about amillennialism, I want to talk a little bit about uh, preterism. And I think you kind of looked a little bit on that and what that's yeah. about, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. So in my studies, I found that the preterists are looking at the culmination of some of these things happening happening in AD 70. So when Jesus was saying the things about uh, these things, uh, the generation shall not pass. And we know that uh, the Jews thought uh, of a generation as being like 40 years. And he was here for 33 years. So in AD 70, when uh, Jerusalem uh, was attacked by Rome, and then uh, they, they took the temple down, that was, that was where some of these uh, guys say, okay, these events have already happened. Right. And so I think that See the, those the preterists. I, I I don't know. I mean, some things I think I might like agree with, and then the other things I'm thinking I don't know about that because they got that whole thing with Nero and his name being the six 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 and him being the Antichrist. And you know I I think that there's places in the Bible where it talks about anyone that that is against Christ is an Antichrist, right? right? And, and and so when we're looking for that particular Antichrist, was it Nero? Right. And, and I, I don't know, I, I looked at that and I thought, I'm just going to brush kind of past that a little bit because uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't feeling the vibe on the preterist thing, man. But, you know, you tell me. <laughs> right. No. So what you have is you have a full preterist and you have partial preterist. So the full preterist, I would have to say, is, is kind of a, a heretical view. And I think most people would agree with that, full preterism, because uh, uh, they, don't, they don't view any second coming uh, as valid. They don't see that uh, anything else is, is to be expected. And that, that kind of goes against scripture. We know there's going to be a, another day of the Lord. We're, right, we are, right. we're awaiting on uh, Christ coming again to rule. Full preterists believe that everything that we see in Revelation has already come to pass, that most of it happened uh, in the first century. Again, like you said, the beast is, is Nero, because uh, as we know in Hebrew, Hebrew words can be uh, translated to numbers. And if you add up the numbers of Nero, it is 666. Now, th th there might be some truth into that. And that's where I would lean more to, to a, maybe a partial preterist view, which, which can mix into some of these, uh, some of these millennial views here. Uh, because I do think that there are some things that we read and that we see in Revelation and in Matthew chapter 24, where, which is where we get a lot of our eschatology from or our view of the end times from as well. I do believe that a lot of these things or some of these things have indeed come to pass. I mean, if you look at in Matthew 24, the whole dialogue was started because the uh, disciples asked, uh, when will these things happen and when will be the end of the age? And then you see Christ going into what's going to happen. And, and notice what Christ says there he says that some will be alive at this time uh, so i do believe that there were some that were alive especially when you talk about the abomination of desolation uh, which i believe was the destruction that occurred in AD 70 the destruction of the temple so uh, you do have some things that were fulfilled already in the first century so that's why I do believe that that, that partial preterists do have a leg to stand on. But I think, again, full preterists, uh, that just, it seems like a heretical view to me. I got you. I got you. And so that, that also did make sense to me because uh, I always used to look at that verse that said, uh, this generation shall not pass away. Some of you will still be alive when these things take place. Right. And I'm sitting here thinking, what does he mean by that? Because if these are all future things, how does that tie in? How can that tie in? But 
uh, reading up on that, on that, I thought, well, that makes a little sense. If the if it's the destruction of the of the temple in Jerusalem at AD seventy, then I can still view the scriptures and say, okay, that ties in, and and so it makes some sense to me. So I agree with you on that. I, I, I you know, the full preterist thing, I. I was like, really? <laughs> but the, the 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 partial thing, I was I was thinking about that AD seventy thing, and I thought some of this makes sense, you know, and so right. it ties in with what Jesus said in Matthew twenty four. Right, and let me just go to twenty four three uh, Matthew twenty four three, and he sat at the Mount of Olives, and this is known as the Olivet Discord. You, uh, many of the listeners have heard this before. Right, the disciples came to him privately, saying, "Tell us when." will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of age? So there's a couple of things that they're asking. And I think that most of the time we kind of lump it all together. So right. they, they want right. to know, like the disciples were asking, when is the, the destruction of the temple? And when is the coming of the end of age, right? So those are two different things. And then Christ answers both questions. And I think we lump them all together. So when we read things like the abomination of desolation, we think, oh, that's something that's going to happen in the future. So we go to Revelation and we try to find it, you know, oh, this is it, right? So, yeah. uh, but but I think a, a lot of things, again, as you said, as, as you mentioned in, in that text that... Uh, some will, will not pass away. This generation will not pass away until these things. This is what we, what we talk about, or this is what we get into the already not yet, because yeah. this is what Christ was doing here in Matthew chapter 24. These are some things that are going to happen immediately. And then there's, these are some things that are going to happen at the end of the age. These are a sign of some things that are happening immediately. These are a sign of some things that are happening at the end of the age. So I believe that's what was going on there in Matthew 24. And that's why I say partial preterism, that those that believe that some of these things have already been fulfilled are are in line or in step with a lot of these views. But um, let me go on to amillennialism, uh, which is a very fascinating view. It's a view that I'd never heard of before I got, I started studying reformed theology. And uh, let me just go ahead and, and talk about it. So amillennialism, the ah, people use the ah to, to, to say that there is no millennial, millennium, I'm sorry. Uh, and what amillennialism teaches is that the, the reign of Christ is a, is a spiritual reign. The reign of Christ is a reign of the saints in heaven. Uh, well, there's a, there's a couple of different views on that. Some say it's the reign in heaven. Some say it's also uh, the reign on earth. But uh, Amelinus tend to see that, that God's kingdom is growing now and, and his kingdom is reigning now here on earth. It's, it's between the two advents. It's his kingdom started when he came the first time and his kingdom uh, and the millennial kingdom is going to uh, culminate in his, in his second coming. Because, you know, when Christ came, he did, uh, he did say he came to usher in the kingdom, right? And when he came, he did, there's a lot of language that he used about the kingdom of God is, is, is at hand. The kingdom of God is, is in your midst, right? So we yeah. see that as, as Christ, I'm giving away my, my view here, <laughs> but amillennialism, <laughs> amillennialists uh, see that as, as Christ saying, look, this is the kingdom. The kingdom is now, it's being ushered in. And, and the pushback to that will be like, well, it does say in Revelations chapter 20, in the millennium that Satan is going to be bound and he's not going to be able to deceive the nations. And people will say, well, you'll look around. And I, I think that you can't say Satan is bound because we can say the enemy is at work. Right. So I think the key there is that deceiving the nations, that's what he's bound from doing. And we live in what we call the gospel age now. And the gospel call is going forth. And God is calling his people even now. I mean, you, you were out evangelizing last yeah. night. You were spreading seed. We're out there spreading seed. And the gospel call cannot be stopped. So uh, this is what we believe when, when we see Revelations chapter 20, that Satan is no longer able to deceive the nations Think about that, because before yeah. Christ came, 
Satan was deceiving all nations. There was only one nation that had, as scripture says, the oracles of God, right? That was right, the right. nation of Israel. But now when, when Jesus came, he ushered in his kingdom. And now the, the gospel call goes out to all nations. As he says in Acts chapter 1, he tells the disciples to, to, to take the gospel to, to the ends of the earth, to Judea, Samaria, uh, Jerusalem, and to the ends of the earth. And in Matthew 28, go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So now the gospel is not only for the select group of people or for one nation. Now the gospel is for all nations and the gospel is going out to all nations and the enemy cannot stop that or thwart that he is bound uh, for a thousand years. And again, the thousand years our millennialists see as something that is, is not literal. It is just a complete time between the two advents, between when Christ came the first time and when Christ is coming the second time. So this is, we're living in the, the millennial reign right now. We're living in a time where, where Christ is on the throne. He has ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And that is the way our millennialists view their view of eschatology. And, and again, you gave away your position at, and my leaning is now toward our millennialism. Uh, simply, there was a few things that got me when I was reading through some of these verses. Um, one, of, one of the reasons, let me, let me read this. Uh, this is uh, from the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24. Verse 27 says this, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, when I, when I read that verse, I thought, this isn't going to be a, a quiet thing. He's going to sneak in and rapture people away. So immediately I was like, hold on a second. Right. Because, right. you know, we're always taught when we were kids that the rapture is going to happen and all these people are just going to disappear and there's going to be people left behind. So uh, immediately I'm doing away with um, the dispensational premillennialism thinking, well, he's going to come with a shout. He's going to come with a with the voice of an archangel and uh, trumpets will sound and it's going to be a big deal. Right. Uh, so it's not going to be something hidden away or uh, in the dark or anything like that. So uh, some of these views now, and then I, and then we got into the, the whole uh, kingdom business. Uh, when does that, you know, cause you know, that millennial, that thousand years is supposed to be when Christ rules. Well, guess what? He's my King right now. Right, right. <laughs> and this was, this was uh, one of the things as I started studying that I said, no, he does reign in the hearts of his followers right now, of his people right now. And so it, it, I, instead of looking at it as a physical and that thing you were touching on earlier about uh, you know, the dispensationalists when they, when they see the, the difference between Israel and the church and right. me and you have had that conversation before. And I've asked you the question is uh, the church uh, now just the expansion of Israel. Um, and uh, you know, I've often, uh, I've told people this before the, 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 the name Israel, the word Israel uh, really means a struggle with God or, or, you know, the, the, the wrestling with God, the thing that, that Jacob uh, did when his name was changed to, to Israel was all night long, he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. Uh, and the next day his name was changed to Israel. He that wrestles with God. And, and that's what Christians do. Christians wrestle with God until they come to an understanding of who he is. Um, and so I, I, I look at that to me when I was looking at it, I, I can't say there's a separation between Israel and the church I just see this, I see it a little different, I suppose. And so I can't agree with the dispensationalists on that point. And, and then it, it brought me to when I, when I was reading Revelation 20, uh, verses one through three, and uh, I looked at this, which it, it just appears to me that dispensationalists want to take this literally when Revelation itself is full of so much imagery and symbolism that when I look at, I saw the angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand a key 
to the bottomless pit. I'm sitting here. What, has he got a key? Right. <laughs> he's got key in his hand. Is it, or is it symbolic language? And so right. when I look at, uh, at this whole, uh, all these things, uh, uh, one of them says that, um, and he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan. So is he a dragon? If I'm going to take that literally, is he really a dragon? Or are we talking about symbolic language? Uh, and so when you get to the thousand year reign, are we going to take that and say, okay, everything else over here is symbolic, but now we're going to take the thousand years and make that yeah. something, something that's not symbolic. Absolutely. And, and yeah. so it, it, it made me think, you know, I can agree with this one more than I can the others. And I do believe that we're in, and, and you know what, this is one of the things I've always told people that start to come and tell me, you know, uh, why is this and, you know, why is this uh, unjust, uh, injustice happening? Why is this happening? And I'll say, you know what, uh, you're worried so much about justice. Repent, get your heart right with God. Um, repent, put your faith in God and trust Jesus because when he returns, he will set all things right. And I don't think it's going to be this whole like second chance thing, right? This is what, this is what they want to, you know, give you, uh, Hey, when he returns, he's going to rapture the people up. Then you got seven years that you're going to have to endure such suffering. And then, and then you have a second chance, right? right. Like, uh, I don't see that, you know, I think that, um, I think that this is, this is, this is not a biblical way to look at it. And I've, I've never really had to study this before in this manner, but now I'm thinking, and I'm leaning more toward the amillennialists. Right. And let me go there to that scripture because that, that's a big, that's a big issue with people. when We talk about the rapture. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 16, where it says, for the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore encourage one another with these words. So, that's kind of the text there where people go to when we talk about the rapture, right? That we're going to be caught up. That's what the rapture is, to be caught up together with him in the clouds. So as an amillennialist, and I'll, I'll say that's, that's my position, what we say is we don't believe that there is going to be some secret rapture, like you said. I mean, this, is, yeah. this, this thing doesn't happen in secret. Uh, now, if you want to use the word rapture and, and say this is what caught up means, that's fine. And I'll, I'll concede that and I'll say, okay, there is going to be a rapture, but it's not a secret rapture. It is Christ coming to call the church together, to gather his armies to the battle, right? So to gather his armies to defeat the great serpent and to wage war on his enemies, right? So uh, this is what, what's happening. This, he's, he's coming. And if you look at the imagery here, here in, in the first century, this is what happens when they usher in a king, that people come out to the city. When the king comes back, they come and welcome him and usher him back into the, uh, the town or the city. So this is kind of what's happening is that God's children go to him, meet him in the air, and usher Christ back in with him. This is the same thing that's going on here in First Thessalonians chapter 4. And, and I think... I like how you said people use, or when we read the book of Revelations, everything is literal. I mean, everything is symbolic until we get to the thousand years. Now that's literal. <laughs> and that's yeah. so true. That's so true. And, and I think the best way to read as an amillennialist, the way we, we are to read Revelation, so we won't get caught up in kind of this, this view of taking everything literal, is to see it as something that's going on simultaneously. So I think uh, a lot of times we try to read it as, okay, this happens in chapter two, then chapter three, this happens next, and chapter four, this happens next. But I think what's going on there is, is God is showing John a vision of, of everything going on simultaneously. It's like looking at a car wreck from different angles, the same wreck, you know, so it's not like these are seven bowls and then 
these are are going to be seven trumpets and these are this and that i think what's going on there is is john is looking at the same thing through different vantage points he's he's giving a, a vivid picture of what's going to happen in the end time so yeah because yeah i think you're right because if it was in chronological order if right. we went you know chapter one through uh 22 in some kind of chronology uh then wait a minute didn't I, it wasn't 19 the end of things because there's the rejoicing in heaven and there's this, that, and the other. And, and you're thinking, wait, that's the end. It should have ended at 19, but then you got chapter 20. It's just a, a, a retelling of what he's already gone over, but from a different perspective. Right. And, and I think, uh, yeah, we need to be able to, to see that and keep it in context and know that Revelation is, is, a, is a difficult book to interpret. But, you know, if you look at it chronologically, it doesn't make sense that 20 comes after 19 if that's the way you want to look at it or if you want to look at it literally. And so, yeah, I I have, I I suppose, changed my view. Again, I didn't have a real view on it in the first place. Uh, And this is, you know, this is my first looking at it. My leaning is toward amillennialism after my studies this past week. Right. Um, But the thing about that we do want to say uh, before we wrap it all up here is we we did want to say that we're all brothers in Christ. You know, if you have a different view on this, again, there's many in the Reformed tradition that have different views. Some are post-millennialists, some are premillennialists, uh, some are amillennialists like us. Uh, then you got the, the dispensationalists. And, you know, these, as long as you're not full preterists, uh, we believe that there's there's room for disagreement in all these views. I would say that this is a secondary issue. This yeah. is not something that, that that should divide us. This is not something that should cause uh, you know division of, of any kind between the brethren, because we're all working through this and we're all trying to study with diligence. Yeah. We're all trying to to get to the bottom of what Scripture is telling us. Again, I believe, like I said earlier, I believe Scripture is clear. The problem is that we're not clear. <laughs> we're, we're finite. We're fallen uh, individuals. So we struggle with things in, in our finite minds. But I believe scripture is clear. But I, I don't believe that this is an issue where uh, there should be a major uh, divisions on in the body of Christ. Because yeah. he, here's the thing is that no matter if you're a historic premillennialist or you're a dispensationalist or you're a postmillennialist or amillennialist, we all have one thing in common. And that is that Christ is coming back and he's coming back soon. Yeah. Right. So together with our brothers, we can proclaim the same message. If we're evangelizing, if we're on the street evangelizing with a dispensationalist, we can say the same thing. He can say, repent because Christ is coming soon. And so can I. Yeah. We we have disagreements on how that's going to play out. He might say there's going to be a seven year rapture. And so we, we would say there's not. But we're in agreement that Christ is coming back. And when he's coming back, he is coming back in judgment. He is coming back to wage war on his enemies. Yeah, that's that's one thing that we hold to in our creeds, right? So it, from the Apostles' Creed, uh, I believe, uh, you know, from, from where he, he ascended to heaven and right. is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from there he will come to judge the yes, living, living and the dead. dead. And I think that's going to be the next thing that happens. Right. Uh, from, my, from my vantage point, um, the, the thing is, though, it, and you saying that, I, I like that you prefaced that and said that because I think we're brothers in Christ. But I do think there's some dangers that have sprouted from this. And, and now I'll get a little personal and talk about the reasons I've kind of stayed away from studying this subject, because I do have family members that I would, I would consider have gone off the deep end when it comes to end times. Um, the, the whole idea that you can study the news get a newspaper, look at, look at Fox news and see what's going on in the world to be able to predict when the end is coming. And uh, you know, hearing things like, Hey, did you see what happened on the news? Because 
the end is really near now. The end is really close. And then, you know, it, it gives it gives rise to all these guys that want to predict when it's going to happen and give us the year and and try to calculate the days. You know, when the Bible tells us no one knows the day or the hour. Right. When Jesus said only the Father knows that. And we leave it to him and we trust him with that. But instead you have, and, and again, I'm going to go a little further and say that when I was a kid, uh, these films were showed to me, these end times films that, that, that were brought into the church and we were seeing the rapture and the tribulation and the things that are going to happen and this, that, and the other. There was a lot of manipulation and fear-mongering that I would say happened when I was a kid that shouldn't happen to kids, right? Instead of talking about sin and, and the recognition of our own sinfulness and, and, and seeing uh, Christ as king, Christ that came to die on a cross to pay for uh, the sins of his people. Instead of teaching that, what they were teaching us was, hey, be afraid because look what's coming down the road. And right. to me, that really turned me off. And so it's kind of been something that I've stayed away from for that particular, those, those two particular reasons. I think it was manipulative. And I think it was something that uh, someone can get carried away with and just go off the deep end with. You know, we look at it, it's a doctrine that's out there. And uh, the more we want to know about, about Jesus and grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is something we should tackle. But it isn't something that we should just get carried away with. Right. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. There is an unhealthy obsession with eschatology from some people in certain camps. And like you said, they're, they're reading the Bible through the newspaper. And, and in fact, they're, they're interpreting the Bible through the newspaper, which it should never be. We should, we should never uh, go down that path. And I think that's, that's the problem when people get obsessed with this and they start making this the major issue. When uh, you know the gospel should be uh, first and foremost, they start making this the, the major theme and the major issue. And like you said, there's just a lot of fear mongering. There's a lot of uh, false predictions. I know people have said time and time again that this is the date when Christ is going to return. And sure enough, Christ didn't return. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, there's just so much danger in having an unhealthy obsession with eschatology or with the end times. You know what we know is true. What we know is that Christ is coming back and he's coming back soon. What is, what is our purpose? What is our job? What is our role? Our role is to share the gospel, is to uh, make disciples of all men, is to go out and proclaim the good news that, that there is salvation found in Christ and Christ alone because he is coming back. And when he comes back, you want to be on his side. That's the message that we proclaim. Yeah. There's one last verse I want to share, two last verses I want to share. But uh, Revelation 22, the last two verses of the Bible. Uh, in fact, because I think that what we can glean from this is just the basic fact. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And I, I, I read that. I'm thinking that should be our eschatology right yeah. there. Come, Lord Jesus. He's coming soon. And we can just rest on that and trust God for the end instead of, um, you know, worrying so much about it when he comes back it's go time right right yeah, yeah man and this was just an overview we didn't really get uh, deep into any of these uh, views 
Uh, as a matter of fact, maybe we should circle back, maybe not, I'm sure not next week, but maybe we should circle back one day, just yeah. kind of devote a whole episode to amillennialism since we already put it out there that that is our view. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can go in a little deeper because I'm sure there's some questions out there like who is the antichrist in this view and, you know, uh, yeah. what is it? What about the tribulation and, you know, the prophecies of Daniel? Where, do, where does all this fit in? We didn't touch on any of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, this wasn't the purpose of this episode. We just kind of wanted to lay out the different views, but maybe we can circle back and yeah. go a little deeper on our millennialism and just kind of answer all those questions. But uh, sure. yeah, hopefully that was, that was helpful. Hopefully that was informative there. If you have any issues, any pushback, any questions, make sure you uh, find us online. You can find us at www.thesolacast.com. There you can go to the message board or the message inbox and, and just shoot us a message. You can also find us on Facebook. If you go to Facebook and search in the toolbar, Solacast, there you'll see our page. Make sure you like the page. Make sure you share the page. Make sure you tell people about the page. Uh, you can also uh, find us on Twitter at Sola underscore cast. And you're at? At Los Jimmy. And I'm at at C Hernandez 214. Also, if you're enjoying the show and uh, you'd like to support our efforts, uh, not only in the show, but also in our, with our church plant and everything that we're doing in West Dallas, make sure you visit us at our Patreon account, which is at patreon.com slash solacast. That's one word, solacast. But yeah, uh, you know, also if you're in the Dallas area, make sure you visit us. We're at 3232 Batan Street, Dallas, Texas, 75212 in the beautiful West Dallas. But anyway, until next time. Let's get to the meat. Let's do it. Okay, I just made this beat right now. I'm MC Goya. Okay, listen. Hey, I'm on the ground like El Chapo in a tunnel, eating about 12 tacos. I'll put you in a box like a gato. Punchline stay in my mouth like Mr. Sacco. Jay thinks he runs Christian hip hop. He wears white socks when he wears his flip flops. And he looks like Shook Knight I put him in a chokehold and say goodnight It's not music but clothes that he started I can find better shirts in a flea market Okay Google, who's the best rapper? Goya, Rat and Grace is full of slackers